0: Morning church family. Great to be with you guys. I missed you last week being on vacation. So thankful to be back worshiping the Lord Jesus with my church family. Uh, man, you know, I, every time we sing that song, Jesus is better, um, that line that says, make my heart believe. You know, sometimes we come to church and we're like, yep, Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. Other times we're like, Lord, I know that's true, but I need you to make my heart get there because I'm not quite there. I don't know where you're at today. If you come in and Jesus is your everything, there's nothing better. Or if you're here and you're like, you know what? I know that should be true, but I'm just not quite there. I want to let you know we love you. We're glad you're here this morning. UBC family, can we give a warm welcome to every guest we have here this morning? It's awesome to have you guys here today. Thank you for being here. Everybody that's joined us online, thank you for joining us online as well. Um, If you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to open to 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, Second Corinthians chapter 9, that's where we're going to be and I invite you to turn there now. As you're turning there, just a few quick things that I feel like I need to mention. Uh, First one is this, um, hey, I realize it's muggy in here. It's kind of hot in this room. Um, We, that's not lost on us. We're working with the mall to try to figure out like what's up with this and how we can get things fixed. So just know that we're working on that. And in the meantime, wear your shorts and t-shirts to church, you know, whatever you need to do. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited. When we were on vacation, we got the news about the governor's uh, orders about the COVID restrictions being lifted on June 2nd. So here's the deal. Um, What we're going to do this week on our church website and over email, we're going to post some new, um, you know, uh, procedure, if that's even the right word. We're going to post some new clarity about our uh, COVID reaction and all that kind of thing. So be on the lookout for that. But here's what we'll just say. From here, from today forward, like we trust you guys and it's at your discretion to Honor uh, the wishes that our governor has put forward according to your conscience. Um, So just know that as you come in and out. Uh, We're not going to, you know, ask for your vaccination card and that kind of thing to see who's proven what. We just trust that you guys, will going to be on the honor system until we get to June 2nd and all those restrictions are lifted and we'll provide some more clarity this week about all of that. The third thing that I want to mention to you is if you were at the members meeting last Sunday night... You know that we introduced to the church two candidates to serve as our um, first two new elders in the church. And so uh, we've been praying that the Lord would raise up called and qualified elders in our church for many months now. Um, We've gone through a long process and the Lord has put on our hearts uh, to nominate to the church Scott Dixon, who preached last Sunday, and Harry Steck, who's been a member of the church for decades as our first two elder candidates. Many of you know Scott and Harry, some of you may not. So in a couple weeks, that first Sunday of June, We're going to have each of those guys um, have some time in our worship services, share their testimony, talk a little bit about their desire and their calling to serve as elders. And we'll have some time after the services for you guys to meet them in the lobby, say hello to them, pray with them, maybe answer any questions you may have of them. But we just wanted to let you know that that's a next step that we're going to go ahead and take uh, with our elders. So praise God, he's answering our prayers and he's raising up uh, new called and qualified elders to serve in the church. Um, Today, is week four of our sermon series called Dollars and Cents. This is the last week in our sermon series. And in this series, Dollars and Cents, we've been asking the Lord to help us believe rightly about the topic of money. We know that if we wanna please God with our money, then we've gotta know what God wants with our money. Um, So we've been focused on that that subject for the past three weeks, right? Week one, we talked about what the real problem is with money and that it has to do with our hearts, that our hearts can love money uh, more than God. We can make money into an idol. In week two, we talked about God's perspective on money, and how God wants us to build up, you know, heavenly treasures with our earthly treasures, that God wants us to live as stewards, not as owners of money. Um, Last week, I appreciated very much Scott Dixon's sermon about how we should live with our money, and uh, the, the, um, the statement that Scott made that really stuck with me was, hey, when it comes to living with money, we want to live like pipes, not buckets, right? So church full of pipes, man, that's what we want to be, this, you know, overflowing with generosity, pleasing God as givers with our money. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week was how to live with money. This week, how do we give our money? And so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. I want to point out four biblical ways to practice generous giving. We're going to see how it all ties into Jesus, and then we're going to have some very practical application and uh, prayer for us at the end of things today. So that's where things are going to go. Before we get started, I'm really excited to have a testimony today from my good friends Matt and Jessica Lockwood. So Matt and Jessica, you guys can make your way in. Some of you guys are familiar with Matt and Jessica. Um, You've seen them serving all throughout the church. You've gotten to know them. They're great people. Um, And, uh, you know, some of you, though, may have no idea who these two are. So just to get things started out, Matt, just take a quick minute. Tell us a little bit about your family and your involvement at UBC. Yeah.
1: So again, my name is Matt Lockwood. This is my wife, Jessica. Uh, We have four beautiful kids who are actually hear this in the service, uh, the second hour. Um, We've been at UBC for almost four years now. Uh, At our time here at UBC, we've had a great time of both serving and also uh, just fellowshipping with other believers, so we've been a part of growth groups. We've also had the opportunity to host a growth group at our own home.
2: And I also have been privileged to serve on the women's ministry team, as well as overseeing the volunteers for kindergarten through third grade and you kids.
0: So yeah, so these guys have been really involved. If you haven't met them yet, hope you get to meet them soon. But I asked them today to share a little bit about their story and what God has done with them when it comes to making a financial plan um, so that when we plan and steward our money, we can become givers. That's what we're going to be focused on today. So Matt, tell us a, a little bit about kind of, you know, what what was going on in your life that led up to you guys sensing the importance to have a, a plan to steward your money?
1: Yeah. So for my story, it kind of begins in college for both of us uh, where we met. But at that time, uh, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer and I watched my family walk through financial struggles. Um, I watched them lose their home uh, during this time. So that, that's something that really struck a chord with me and has, has always been with me. And I think it was from that moment that uh, money became a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me and something that I realized. And I, I put a lot of security in money. Uh, so it was that time, um, that, that's what was happening in our lives. We got married shortly after in 2008. And uh, at that time, it was just a lot of love and a little bit of money at that time. Um, <laughs> we didn't have a lot uh, for us, but uh, you know, we didn't have a plan at that time either. We just kind of, as long as more money was coming in and going out, that was success. That was uh, security and stability for us. Mm-hmm.
2: And I grew up in a home where my father was in ministry, so sometimes money was a little bit tight, Um, but my parents still showed us the value of um, investing your money in the church and giving and showing us um, to also look for opportunities of how God is faithful, even in the times where money might be a little bit short. When I was in fourth grade, my brother and I shared a pair of sneakers, and one day I went into school, and there was a brand new pair of Nike sneakers on my desk, and I still to this day have no idea who they're from but it was just an instance where I saw that my parents were being faithful with their money, we were working hard as a family and God was providing for us in other ways as well with his faithfulness.
0: So you guys both come from different family backgrounds but it kind of sounds like in your own unique way when you were kids you kind of grew up with maybe some some sense of hey you know we need to be wise with our money but nevertheless something shifted to say okay this isn't just something we know we need to do. Now we need to make a plan, right? So what came about for you guys that helped you get involved with making a plan, getting involved in the Financial Peace University class? Like, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so at that time, we were attending a church, and uh, our pastor asked us if we would be willing to facilitate a Financial Peace University FPU uh, at that time. And we had never been through the course, uh, but we were were willing, and we said yes. So I think it was actually mid-course, and we realized that aha moment like, Yo, this is, this is what we need, okay? Uh, so we, at that point, decided to start making a plan and, uh, you know, start building wealth and, and following the steps um, that were laid out in FPU.
2: And it wasn't before then that we were spending frivolously. We, we were trying to make sure that we had enough money coming in, that then we had enough money going out for the bills. Um, mm-hmm. But... FPU kind of made us really competitive in that way. We are competitive people, but we were now on a team together that we wanted to pay off all of our college loans and... Matt actually made the goal that said he wanted us to be debt-free before we started a family. So then I was like, all right, I'm I'm in on (laughs) this. So we worked really hard, and we had a lot of college students that we were trying to build into, so we would invite them into our home, and they knew that we kept our heat at 55 in the winter. And (laughs) we had sheets hanging up separating rooms to have a space heater in whatever room we were in with them. And it was just a neat way for us to come together and realize, like, we can do this, and by God's grace, we were able to pay off all of our debt.
0: Awesome, so praise God for that, and uh, obviously when you get that plan in order early on in your marriage, right, it frees you up years down the road to be able to not have the burdens that other people have if they haven't been diligent early on in their marriage, right? So praise God for that. What would you guys say are some of the specific blessings that you've experienced or the ways God has grown you once you've actually had this plan in place? You've been living it out. What are some of those blessings, those growth points for you guys?
1: Yeah, so we eventually got to the point where we had our finances under control. Uh, we were both working. We were debt-free. Um, we were just saving, like we were just in saving mode. Um, it, but it, we realized that while we, we were being blessed, there were opportunities to bless others. We had been on the receiving side so many times of being blessed that finally we had the chance to start blessing other people. Um, my wife will share a real quick story about that.
2: So when we were first married our car was in rough shape and we actually ended up taking it to a mechanic that said don't bring it back here because it will literally rust out if I put it up on the lift one more time. So I decided we were gonna be praying as a couple that God would give us a free car. And we prayed this and the college where we attended they contacted us one day and said someone has come forward and they have this free car that they wanna give to some students or past graduates and your name came up and we were floored and we ended up driving two hours to go pick up this car. That actually ended up coming from Shane Hawkins' parents. We had attended college with Shane. And it was so crazy. And then we came to visit UBC four years ago the day Shane was candidating. We hadn't seen him since. It was just awesome to see how God brought that full circle. But we at that point we didn't have anything, and God provided in his faithfulness in that way. And then as we continued on, and we ended up, I ended up finishing college after we were married, and then we ended up having jobs, and then had kids um, we had set the standard so that we weren't living outside of our means even though we ended up both having full-time teaching jobs um, then we came to the point that we had made that our standard and we kept it that way so that then I could then end up up staying home with our kids so that was a huge blessing
0: which I mean that's a huge goal desire of your heart that the Lord by his grace has allowed you guys to be able to live right like to be able to experience and live that out Um, and like you said, like there's, there's a joy and a blessing to be able to give, right? And so much of being able to give freely comes with you know, discipline and managing our money wisely. So we have a church full of hundreds of people and people who are watching online. Maybe they're here and they're like, okay, we could probably take some steps towards building a plan. We're thinking about this financial peace thing. Maybe they're on the fence about whether or not they should sign up for the class. What do you say to somebody who's maybe considering it
1: yeah i would say yes if you're considering it the answer is yes um (laughs) if you're not considering it you really you ought to uh financial peace was instrumental for us we did it early in our marriage i honestly think it saved us a ton of marital, marital strife uh, because we were both on the same page and our fa- finances were locked in early. Um, I would encourage you, and no matter what season of life you're in, whether you're a high school student, a single, you know, you've been married for two years or 20 years, there's definitely something in this course that can help you, and it's never too late uh, to try and get your finances in order. So, again, if you're considering it, the answer is yes.
2: Awesome. And just like matt mentioned the different seasons of life sometimes we were on the receiving end like i mentioned with the car and then once we got to the point that we could give above and beyond our regular tithe and offering to the church we were able to bless others and we had this creative giving fund that we would then decide where we we're going to send our money that month Um, We had a group of friends um, and one of the couples, they had a refrigerator that recently broke down and we just had this grand idea. This was our first big, let's give creatively idea and we bought them a new refrigerator. And it was so neat for us and we were literally giddy going over to their house Mm -hmm. to tell them that we had bought them a refrigerator and it was coming. So sometimes we did things like that, other times it's just neat to give anonymously and just be excited about that. So whatever stage of life you are in, you can get to the point that you are able to give. You can give even with the little that you have and FPU taught us that um, even from our early stages where we literally had nothing, we could still welcome people in our home, provide them with a meal, little things like that. So it was awesome for us, and I'm sure it will be for you too.
0: Awesome. So yeah, I mean, you could see from these guys' faces that like they're all smiles, right? So there's a joy that comes with giving. Appreciate you guys taking the time to share your story. You guys are great. Church family, can we show them a little love this morning? It's great. Thank you guys. Um, if if. If you're thinking about signing up for financial peace but you need some more details, just a reminder, you go to our website, click on the classes button. And one of the classes that you can click on to get more information is the financial peace course. Um, you know, I, I would really encourage you guys to sign up. You know, June 3rd is the deadline to sign up. So make sure you sign up before then. And here's the thing. It costs a little bit of money to take this course. You, you have to make an investment to take the course. Here's the thing that the church knows. Even that investment to take the course can be a little bit challenging for many people in our church. So here's what the church wants to do. If you sign up for the course and you complete the course, we're gonna reimburse you 50% of the cost to take the course, so don't let that be a hindrance from you for taking the class. Really encourage you to do that. Make sure you do that by June 3rd, and uh, we'll see what the Lord does. Today, we're talking about this um, practice of giving. And we're going to look at giving principles from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, if you have your Bible there, turn there. That's where we're going to be. I want to just make sure that we don't take these passages and these verses out of context. So I just want to take a couple minutes and give you the background and the context of this passage. Um, If you were to read the previous chapter, chapter eight, here's what you would see. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter is on a fundraising campaign. He's out raising funds and he's raising funds to support the church that is in Jerusalem. During that time, Jerusalem was really the main hub of Christianity. Apostles were commissioned out there. Churches were planted from there. Jer- the Jerusalem Christian church was kind of the mother church of all many other churches that had popped up around that time. The problem was that there were several challenges going on in Jerusalem during that period. First thing was there was a major famine in that area. Um, people were impoverished, hungry, there was an issue going on with a famine in history at that time that was affecting the culture. The other thing was, you have to remember, Christianity was relatively new by the time Paul was writing 2 Corinthians, and both the Jews and the Romans were coming against the Christian uh, community trying to basically snuff them out and shut them down. And so Paul decides, hey, for these hurting Christians that are in Jerusalem He's gonna raise some funds for them. He's got a fundraising project going on. If you read chapter eight, you would see that um, there's another church that Paul mentions. Not just the church in Jerusalem, but also the church in Macedonia. And the church in Macedonia, they were a poor church. They were a poorer community. But here's what Paul says about the church in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. In verse two, he says that they, uh, they overflowed with a wealth of generosity, They gave to Paul's fundraising project. He says that they gave beyond their means in um, verse 3, chapter 8, verse 3. In chapter 8, verse 4, they said that even though they were poor, they begged to take part in the relief of the saints, right? So these Macedonian Christians, even though they were poor Christians, they were generous Christians. They wanted to help the church in Jerusalem, And as you continue to read into chapter eight, you see that the Apostle Paul now starts to say, hey, church in Corinth, you Corinthians, who I'm writing this letter to, you look to the example of the Macedonians and you get in on this too, Right? You, you, you have excelled in many things, you church in Corinth. You've, you've excelled in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in love. Now, excel also in this. Excel in giving, excel in your generosity. And Paul goes on to write and he says, You know, we've talked about this before. I know that you desire to give. Now, Put your desire into practice. And the reason why Paul says that they can be so generous is because of what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where Paul says this, Remember Jesus, the one who was rich, yet became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Guys, that's the way, in other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, as a Christian, you know, Jesus has has given us the greater gift of spiritual riches, eternal riches. How much more then should we be willing to give the lesser riches, the earthly riches, the things of our money to to help those who are in need? Paul wants the church in Corinth to practice gospel-motivated generosity. That's what chapter 8 is all about. Then we get into chapter 9. In verse six, as Dana read earlier, says this: "The Paul says the point. The point is this: Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully." All right. So, so Paul is saying through the power of the Holy Spirit to the church in Corinth, "Hey, you as givers, you're going to harvest in proportion to what you sow, just, just like a farmer who who sows a little seed is going to have a little harvest." You know, the same way a farmer who sows a lot of seed is gonna have a lot of harvest. So you, as a church, you're gonna reap in proportion to what you sow. In other words, Paul is saying to these Corinthian Christians, sow big, give big, give all you can, be generous, be generous. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Paul's big point in 2 Corinthians 9, verses seven through 15 is this. Here's the big point. When we realize that God has generously given to us we will generously be giving to others. When we realize that God has generously given to us, we will be generously giving to others. That's the whole point. Now, as we walk through these texts, what I I wanna show you today is four biblical ways to practice generous giving, all right? Four biblical ways to practice generous giving. We're gonna walk through these one at a time. I hope they point you to Jesus. I hope they impact your life. Let's get, let's get into this together. Way number one, give decisively, knowing that God wants you to make the decision to give. All right. So give decisively, knowing that God wants you to make the decision to give. Here's what we see in God's word. Verse seven, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. The verse says that giving for you and I, for the Christian community, needs to be a decision. In the uh, original Greek language, the word decided there means a predetermination, right? So giving is something that we're to think about beforehand. We, we have a planned out, intentional um, choice that we've made to be givers. I've shared this story before, but I wanna share it again here. When I was 16 years old, my parents gave me my first car. You guys remember your first car you got? You remember? My parents gave me my first car. For me, it was a 1984 Chevrolet Celebrity. Baby blue, my, uh, my friends all called it the Mobile. right? Those of you who were born after like 1985, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Smurfs, you know, it's never been on your radar. The rest of us, we get it. Um, My parents paid for this car, they covered the insurance, they told me that I just needed to pay for the gas, and uh, that was very generous of my parents, so I was happy to drive my car, you know, my friends started getting their cars and they would drive, and before we know it, something shifted in my heart, rather than just being kind of grateful for the car I had, I started getting a little bit jealous about the cars my friends had that I didn't have, and I was a little bit unsatisfied, and my dad picked up on that. And he could tell that that was bothering me a little bit. So he sat me down at our dinner table. He had a talk with me. And I remember him talking with me about money. And uh, I remember him asking me the question, hey, Jason, uh, what do you think mom and I spend our money on? And I remember, like, starting to rattle things off. And he got out a piece of paper, and he wrote things down. So I would say, okay, obviously, mom and dad, you're spending money on things like food and clothes and a house and you know, like the car you gave me and, and the gas that, you know, that we pay for the car. Like, I remember, and my dad, as I, as I said these things, my dad would write them all down one at a time. And then after I was done, he said, son, you, you did good. You, you listed a lot of the things we spend money on. He said, but you know what? You're missing one. And I said, okay, what was that? And at the top of his page, he wrote the words, tithes and offerings, Right at the top. And here's what I remember about that now. Tithes and offerings, they weren't just on dad's list. They were at the top of dad's list. Mom and dad had pre-decided that the most important thing they would do, the first thing they would do with their money, is to make sure that they gave back to the Lord. Guys, that's the heart that God wants us to have. God wants us to give decisively making the predetermined decision to be a giver. Notice the scripture says that God wants us to make that decision to give in a particular way. Here's the second way that we're to practice biblical generous giving. It's that we're not just to give decisively, we're also to give cheerfully. We give cheerfully. And when we say we give cheerfully, here's here's what it means. It means that we know that God wants us to only give what we can gladly give. We only give what we can gladly give. That's what God means by being a cheerful giver. Here's where we see that, again in verse seven. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful here in the original Greek language is the word uh, hilaros, and hileros, obviously, it sounds like our English word hilarious, right? It means something's fun. We have fun doing it. God wants us to be people who are joyful in our giving, just like you could see from Matt and Jessica when they were talking about their giving. Like, they're happy to give and to be able to, to meet needs. In other words, guys, God, uh, God isn't honored when we give with a grudging spirit. God is not honored when you give, but you do so without gladness. It's not like he's pleased when you just give out of guilt or duty. You know, think about this. Um, when Christmas or birthdays or holidays roll around, imagine if somebody came up to you and they were like, okay, well, uh, here's your gift. And, you know, I I didn't really want to do this, but I drew your name out of the hat. And I guess since I'm part of the family, I'm obligated to do it. It's been a really hard year for us. And this is, this is a really big sacrifice, So, so I hope you really like it right? Like, hope you really appreciate that. Like, none of us even want to receive a gift like that, right? Like, the Lord doesn't need our money. The Lord doesn't need our gifts. He owns everything, right? So, so what does he want? He wants us to be able to give to his work with glad spirits, not these grudging hearts. You know, the Lord, if giving for us is kind of like, well, you know, Pastor Jason's been preaching on this for four weeks. I guess I got to do something. (laughs) You know, like, that's not what the Lord wants. I mean, he doesn't want us to view giving like, okay, well, you know, this is our church, and I guess they do watch our kids for an hour each week, and if the pastor preaches a good sermon, I guess we'll just kind of give him a little tip or whatever. So, you know, like, that's not, that's not the spirit that the Lord wants. God's not pleased with that. God wants us to be glad when we give. I hope that whatever you get, when you give to the Lord's work, I hope you can give places where you're glad, where you're happy. That's the, This is the uh, second way, here's the third biblical way that we can practice generous giving. We give trustingly, we give trustingly, all right? So we said first, that we give decisively, second, we give cheerfully, third, we give trustingly. And what it means to give trustingly is that you give knowing that God will always give you enough to be a giver. God will always give you enough to be a giver. Verse eight and nine says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10 says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's what he says in verse 11. Verse eight. You'll have sufficiency in all things so that you can abound in every good work. God supplies all your seed so that you can increase the harvest of righteousness, verse 10 says. What's this saying? It's saying, when it talks about this harvest of righteousness, God is, uh, he's saying that when you give to the poor, when you give to the needy, when you give to the things that are on God's heart, that that is a righteous act. It's a God-honoring act. It's, It's something that is holy unto the Lord when we give to the things that are pleasing to God. And so when God gives you everything you have, doesn't it make sense to say, okay, Lord, you've given me everything. I'm gonna give some of it back to the things that are on your heart. Like, it's a pretty good deal if I said to you, hey, I'm gonna give you $10. All you have to do is take one or two and, and give them to the things that, that, I, that I care about. Anybody still taking that deal? Right, I'm still taking that deal. I give you 10, all you, you can keep the rest, just give a few bucks to the ones that you can gladly you know, give to that I care about. All of us would say, hey, the Lord has provided us with everything we have. The fact that we have days on this earth to live, the fact that we have a heart that beats, the fact that we have roofs over our head and food in our bellies and clothes on our back, the fact that we have everything in this life that we need, you know, God is providing it all, he's given it all to us. So doesn't it make sense to say, Lord, you, you've provided everything I need, I want to give some, so that through me, from you, they're going to have all that they need, right, that's what we're talking about here, and the the challenge, I think, for many of us, is that there's a little bit of a fear to give, I remember telling you guys about this, my, uh, you know, uh, my first job out of college, and had those first big paychecks coming in, you know, it was like, oh, do I really want to give this much money, you know, and it was kind of this fear thing, and, um, you know, I, I think that's the way many of us think. If if I give, I won't have what I need. And I just want to call that out to say, you know what that is, guys? That's disbelief. That's distrust in God. God has promised you that He will supply all of your need according to His riches and glory, Philippians four. He is. He's not going to let his children, you know, uh, uh, go without what they actually need in this lifetime. So God, trust him to keep his word. And when you see him keeping his word, know that he's doing that, not just so that you have all that you need, but out of the abundance of the supply, you can give to others so that they have what they need through you for the glory of God. You know, I I think about this. God will always give you enough to be a giver. Think about the woman who gave, the widow who gave her two mites. Think about the boy who gave his five loaves and his two fish. God didn't give them a ton, (laughs) but he gave them enough to be givers, and so trustingly, they gave, because, why did they do that? Because they knew that God would always give them enough to be a giver, same for each of us. That's the third way that we can practice biblical generosity and giving. Here's the fourth biblical way to practice generous giving, is that we give worshipfully. We give worshipfully, knowing that God receives thanksgiving from our financial giving. God is the one who's going to receive thanksgiving from our financial giving. Man, it is is easy to get our motives mixed up when it comes to giving, isn't it? Some of us might be givers, but deep in our hearts, we want to make sure we get some credit. Hope somebody thanks me. You know, I hope uh, that somebody recognizes my name. That can be in our hearts. But you know what? When we give worshipfully, we don't care about our names anymore. We don't care about ourselves being thanked. We wanna say, okay, this is, we thank God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that when God gives us enough to be generous in every way, then here's what's gonna happen. End of verse 11. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. He says that the ministry of this service That word service is very important. The word service is mentioned here in verse 12. It's also mentioned in the next verse, verse 13. In the original Greek language, it's the word uh, liturgia. Liturgia reminds us of our word. In English, we say the word liturgy, okay? Um, What is that? It's our expression of worship. It's our practice of worship. And so what we have here is Paul is saying that there's a specific type of service that is liturgia, It's liturgy. It's worship. And what is that ministry of service that Paul calls worship? It's the ministry of giving. It's the ministry of giving. So the service of financial giving, generous giving, it's an act of worship. I don't think I really figured that out, guys, until uh, I was maybe in my early 20s, mid-20s. I mean, I grew up in church. that took offering every Sunday and you know, they probably taught that, you know, giving was worship and all that kind of thing. But it never clicked for me till I was in my 20s. Um, I, I used to work at Dayton Christian Schools. Uh, I got on, I came on staff in their business office. Part of my job there was to um, be their annual fund officer, which means I helped the, the church with, or I helped the school with their fundraisers. Uh, they, they paid me money to raise money, essentially, is kind of how it worked. And we raised, you know, a significant amount of money for the school each year to help offset the needs of the school. And so the, my supervisor was a man that some of you know. His name was Jerry Armstrong. Jerry Armstrong was a godly, godly man. He died several years ago uh, from leukemia, and he's with the Lord now. But, you know, I learned a lot from Jerry Armstrong. Learned a lot about finances from Jerry Armstrong. In his role, he interacted with all kinds of givers. Some people who gave $5 to causes, some people who gave $5 million to causes. So lots of different people. Here's what I learned from Jerry Armstrong. Jerry Armstrong treated people the same whether they gave five bucks or five million bucks. He didn't practice this partiality that the book of James warns us against doing right. So he treated people the same, no matter what they gave. And I remember asking Jerry, like we were, we were going to go meet with a donor um, who regularly said, "Hey, when you have needs in the school, I want you to approach me. I want you to tell me what they are." And so Jerry was going to go, and he was going to ask this particular couple to give millions of dollars for a project, millions. And I remember saying like, Jerry, like, how can you do that? I mean, how, how, do you, how can you do that? Asking this guy for so much money. And you know what Jerry did? He got his Bible out. And he showed me Romans chapter 12, verse eight. And he said, Jason, you know that God has given people spiritual gifts of various kinds, but he showed me Romans 12, verse eight, eight where it says that God gifts some people spiritually to be generous givers. He showed me 2 Corinthians 9 and these principles of generosity that we've been talking about here. In other words, Jerry Armstrong helped me see that giving, even up to millions of dollars or five dollars, it can be an act of worship for people, so don't be afraid. Financial giving is part of our liturgia. It's part of our worship. And when we worship God by giving, What does that do? It leads others to worship God through thanksgiving. And that's what Paul is saying in our text. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13 and 14. Paul says, by their approval of this service, okay? By their approval. He's talking about the church in Jerusalem. By their approval of this service, your giving, you you generous Corinthian Christians, you know they, the Jerusalem church, will glorify God because of your submission, Corinthian Christians, that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Paul is saying, Corinthian church, when other Christians received your gift, they're gonna give many thanks to the Lord for you and what he's done in you, because let's remember the context. This letter was written in the early days of Christianity, and in those early days, the Jews who had become Christians, you know, they initially kind of still thought of themselves as God's chosen people, so when the gospel started going out to Gentile Christians, like the believers in Macedonia, or the believers in Corinth, There was initially kind of this skepticism from the Jewish believers saying, oh, are these Gentile believers? Are they true believers? Is their conversion real? Are they legitimate Christians? And Paul is saying, hey, when these Jewish believers see that you love them like brothers and sisters in Christ, that you love them so much that you're willing to sacrificially give to support them, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna realize that your conversion is legit. Your conversion is real, you're a true believer. In other words, a generous heart is an evidence of a truly converted heart. I want you to hear that from me. A generous heart is one evidence of a truly converted heart. It's natural for a Christian who's truly saved to care about other Christians and wanna give to supply their needs. Guys, here's the thing. I've I've said this in other sermons, but I wanna say it again. If Jesus doesn't have your life, you're never gonna surrender your wallet. But when Jesus fully has your life, he'll easily have your wallet. (laughs) Generous giving is one evidence of somebody who's truly converted and saved and loves the family of God. And when we give other people in need, and they receive that, that gift, what happens? God gets all the glory. People give thanks. I love how the Apostle Paul expresses his own thanks in our text right here. Verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Church family, you know this. What is the inexpressible gift that God has given to us? It's Jesus. It's Christ. Right? This gets to the heart of it all. What, what motivates a Christian to give to others? What motivates the Corinthian Christians? What motivates the UBC Christians? What motivates us? What motivates you and me? It's the fact that God has given us an inexpressible gift when he gave us Jesus. The gift of Jesus truly is an inexpressible gift, isn't it? The gift of salvation for sinners through Christ How do you describe that gift? How do you describe a gift that you could never earn or never deserve? How do you describe a gift that cleanses your conscience and frees you from the shame of your sin? How do you describe a gift that radically transforms your life and makes you new? How do you you describe a gift that sets you free from the, the sins that used to keep you in bondage, keep you captive? How do you describe a gift that helps you overcome the fear of death? How do you describe a gift that gives you heaven and all of God's kingdom for eternity? Guys, how do you describe a gift that gives you God? You can't describe it. It's an inexpressible gift. You know what you can do? Say thank you. You just say thank you. You give thanks. God's generosity to us just overflows with the thanksgiving of our hearts. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift of his son. Gospel-motivated giving is what God wants for his church. I wanna close this sermon series today by giving you some practical takeaways. And this first takeaway is the most important one. Here's the the first one. If you've never done so, you need to receive God's inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ into your life. If you've never had the point in your life where you have recognized you're a sinner, that your sin separates you from God, that in order to be made right with God, your sins need to be forgiven and that barrier needs to be removed. If you've never come to the point where you've realized, oh, My sin barrier gets me removed by believing in Jesus Christ who died on the cross in my place to pay for my sin, to remove my sin debt. If you've never had that moment where you've said, you know what, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life generously for a sinner like me. If you've never had that moment, then that means you've never been saved you have not received Jesus Christ into your life. So where does this all have to start? This all has to start with you receiving God's inexpressible gift. If you've never been saved, receive Christ as your savior today. Let today be the day of your salvation and you'll be receiving the best gift you can ever receive. Some of you may have questions about that. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to receive salvation through Jesus? If you wanna talk more about that, your takeaway today is to grab the little connection card that's on the back of the seat in front of you, fill it out and check the little box that says salvation and I promise you that myself or one of our church leaders will follow up with you and we'd love to talk to you about how you can receive Jesus, the greatest gift God has ever given. That's the first takeaway. Now for the rest of us who have received Christ as our savior, what's the takeaways for us? Here's another one. If you're a Christian, decide that you'll be a giver and make a plan. Decide that you will be a giver and make a stewardship plan, okay? Because here's the thing. So many people, they don't really make a plan. Here's what they do. They just say, oh, I'll give a little when I have a little extra. Or they think to themselves, um, I, you know, I, I guess I'm stewarding God's money if, as long as I don't spend more than I am, you know, taking in, then, you know, I guess that's stewardship. I want to make it really clear. I hope this has become clear through this sermon series. Look, you can spend less than you make and still not honor God at all with your money. You have to have a plan. In what ways are you intentionally going to make room to give to the things that are on the heart of God? You need to make a plan. That's what the Lockwoods were up here talking about. That's what our Financial Peace University class is for. Sign up for that class. It'll help you make a plan. Rachel and I, early on in our marriage, we went through the the teachings of financial peace. We made a plan. We started to realize there are certain things that are close to the heart of God. God loves his church. He wants his church to be supported, so we should give to our local church. God loves global missions. He wants the nations to know Jesus, so we've gotta give to support missionaries who are taking the gospel elsewhere. God loves the needy, the poor, the widow, the orphan, those who are being persecuted. We've got to set aside funds that are given to make sure that the needy are actually being taken care of. So for Rachel and I, that's what it looked like for us. We look at our monthly budget. How much are we going to give to the Lord? Okay, Lord, that's what we want to give to you. Now let's make sure we're giving it to our church, some to missions, setting some aside to be able to give to those in need. And here's what the Lord has burdened on our hearts. As the years have gone by and and the Lord by his grace has blessed us with more income, here's the thing. We don't just want to increase our standard of living. We want to increase our standard of giving, right? And so that's what the Lord wants for us today. What's your plan? You need to pre-decide to be a giver and then make a practical plan. Another takeaway, third takeaway for us. Determine, where you're happy about God's work and give there. Determine where you're happy about God's work and give there. Guys, I I hope that you're happy about what God's doing in our church. If you're happy about what God is doing in our church, I hope you give. I hope you give big here. But if you're not happy about what's going on here and it's just a burden and a grudge to you to like give and and it's just guilt and stuff, just, just don't give here. Find some place where you're happy to give. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to take joy in your giving. Only do it when you can give with a smile. I hope that you can give with a smile here. Some of you guys are like, well, you know, I, I, I've got some questions about the church, how the church handles money. Uh, a couple things for you. First of all, come to one of our members' meetings. We give a full disclosed report to the church on the expenses of the church and a treasurer's report every month. We wanna be honest about that. If you have other detailed questions, it's why Harry Steck is on staff with our church. Shoot Harry Steck an email. Say, hey, I'd like to get together, talk with you about the giving and the financial stewardship of the church because we want people to be happy, glad to give here. You know, as I was thinking about this this past week, Rachel and I, we're glad to give here. We're glad to give to the ministry of UBC and here's why. I see our church increasing our efforts in global missions. It's been a joy to see that. When Rachel and I were on vacation last week and we were driving uh, on Sunday morning, we never did this before, but we we watched the live stream while we were driving in the car. Well, Rachel watched it. I was driving watching the road, but Rachel, you know, we were listening to it together. And uh, it was a blessing to be able to see Ethan O'Neill come up before the church, see the church lay hands on him and pray over him and commission him out for missions. That was a joy. I talked to him this morning over text message. I said, "Hey, man, you know uh, where are you at with your with your trip?" And he's like, "I'm getting ready to get on the plane right now. Please pray for me." <laughs> right. So he left this morning. Pray for Ethan today. When I was talking with our missions team earlier this week, you know they were saying, "You know what?" We have five missionaries on the field that we support with our, regular, uh, with our regular giving from the church and we're interviewing five to six other new missionaries to be able to take on board as regular supporters. It made me happy. I got a text message last night from one of the guys on our missions team who's in Honduras on a missions trip and he's saying, Jason, pray for us. Tomorrow we're gonna go out in the villages. We're praying that the God would give us opportunity to share the gospel. Pray for us that we can equip the pastors here. I don't know about you, that makes me happy. Makes me, I'm happy to give here knowing that those things are going on. I'm happy to give here because I know that we're growing in our emphasis in global missions, which by the way, if you wanna learn more about what's going on in our church missionally, take advantage of the opportunity to stop by our missions table on your way out today. You can see various aspects of who we're giving to and how we're involved in missions. Take advantage of that. I'm happy to give here because of the way I see our church coming around the needy. I love the way that widows are cared for here I have a widowed grandmother my wife Rachel has a widowed grandmother when I look around our church and I see the widows in our community I like that we take care of our widows I like the fact that we have people when snow comes in the winter we have guys who go and show up and shovel the snow off the driveways of our widows homes I like the fact that when you know we see uh Jim Jennings, you know, pass away weeks ago, that so many of you came and supported his widowed wife, Maggie. I love that about our church. I love that our church cares for families who are grieving. I was just at a funeral on Friday, and I saw our deacons and several members of our church right alongside a family member who had just lost a loved one. I love that our church cares for the poor. You know, we got a call this week from a lady in this area, who is in a desperate situation. She's not a member of our church, but she said, you know, I've called several churches in this area. You, University Baptist Church, you're the only one who's gotten back to me. On one hand, that's really sad. On the other hand, it makes me happy for our church. I'm glad that we have a benevolence fund that can help people who are hurting I love giving here because I see the testimonies on Easter Sunday when we have nine or ten people up here sharing their baptism testimony in tears and, you know, making their their faith public. Children, teenagers, adults. I love that. I love that we have people in our baptism class right now while I'm preaching, thinking about, you know, getting baptized soon. You know, those God's changing people's lives. That's what it's all about, guys. Like makes me happy to give here. I hope it's a blessing to you to give here because God wants us to give cheerfully. So guys, uh, make your plan to give wherever you're glad about what God's doing. And here's the last thing. When it comes to your giving, do it all for the sake of God's glory. Do it all for the sake of God's glory. I'm just gonna tell you right now, like the giving that comes here, the giving that we, who cares if our names are attached to it? you know what I care? I care that God is glorified. I hope that the name of Jesus is exalted. I want the glory of God to be on display. So here's how our giving works. When you give, other people receive. When they receive, they give thanks. When they give thanks, God gets the glory. So when you give and our church staff receives salary week after week, month after month, year after year, we receive that gift. We give thanks and God gets the glory. When People receive benevolence funds from our church. We want them to give thanks to God and God get all the glory. When we build new church facilities here, we're hoping that new people come, their lives are changed, they're saved, they become fully devoted followers of Jesus. They thank God for this church and God gets all the glory. When other church plants are supported through our missions funds, which we wanna give significant portions of our giving to help new church plants, new church starts, when they receive help from us, I hope that they give thanks to God and God gets all the glory. When missionaries around the world have their needs met through your giving, man, they will give thanks to the Lord for providing and God will get all the glory. When we give, people give thanks, God gets all the glory. May it be so let's be a church that wants God's name magnified in all the earth. And if financial giving is one way that we can be part of seeing that happen, then let's give like crazy. Summarizing it all, how do we biblically practice generosity with our giving? Give decisively, knowing that God wants each of us to make the decision to give. Give cheerfully, knowing that God wants us to only give what we can gladly give. Give trustingly, knowing that God will always give you enough to be a giver. And give worshipfully, knowing that God will receive thanksgiving through your financial giving. When we realize God has generously given to us, we will be generously giving to others. What's God saying to you today? We just preached on this, right? Four weeks, four weeks of a sermon series on money. What's your takeaway? I'm not up here to manipulate you. I'm not up here to ask you to give more money to our church necessarily. This is a generous church. You guys, I, they're like, we are so blessed financially. But here's what I will say. When you listen to the Holy Spirit and pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart when it comes to money, some of you are gonna start giving and you're gonna be set free from the traps of materialism and greed and other things that you're worried about. Some of you are gonna start to practice financial giving as the Holy Spirit's leading you and you're gonna start to have joy in your hearts as you see the way God uses the stewardship of your funds. What is the Lord prompting you to do as your next step? Listen to whatever the Lord is prompting you with. I'm gonna pray right now to close and as I pray out loud, I wanna ask each and every one of you to pray sincerely in your hearts. Lord, what's my next step? What's my next step? Would you pray that as I pray out loud? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh God, we thank you. You are such a generous giver. Thank you that you gave Jesus, and thank you that you gave Jesus to us for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that you give your Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can know you, live for you, be convicted of sin, and be compelled toward righteousness. I wanna thank you, oh God, that you've prepared a place in heaven for us, and that when this little brief lifetime is over, that we're gonna be with you forever as part of your kingdom. Thank you, oh God, for being such a generous giver to us. Lord, would you warm our hearts with thankfulness toward your lavish generosity upon us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for making me and my family part of a church that has a regular practice of generosity. Lord, let us stay open-handed, open-handed to what you want to do with the funds that you bless us with. Lord, I pray for people who may be in the room today and maybe they've never, ever given toward your work. Maybe people who have significantly given toward your work. Lord, wherever we are, Lord, let our hearts be open to whatever you want for us as the next step. And Lord, I, I wanna pray also for the people who may be here today and their first step has nothing to do with a financial gift, Lord, their their next step is to give their life to you. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day where they surrender, where they repent of their sin, where they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, where they pray and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, make me new, transform me, change me. I give my life to you. Lord, let today be the day of salvation. If there's anybody in this room who needs to surrender their life to you, if there's anybody listening online who needs to surrender their life to you, I pray that today would be the day where they do it. God, you're such a gracious and generous giver to us. all, All we can do is say thank you. Now, Lord, make us faithful. To whom much is given, much is required, Lord. Let us be faithful with the little or the much that you have given us. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.